What's up, guys? I'm Tyler. And I'm Nicole. And we're so excited because Seacoast launched a new app, and we can't wait to share with you more about how to download it, all the features that are available, and ways that you can get connected. So, Tyler, start us off by just letting us know, how do you download the app? Right. So, uh, first of all, find internet. If you don't know what that is, <laughs> sorry. But for everybody else, go to the App Store, whether it's uh, Google Play or Apple App Store, and download our app. It's just Seacoast Church. Yeah, pretty simple. And then once you get there, there's so many incredible options. But the first one we want to make sure you know about is how to get connected, because we can't wait to meet you. So how do they get connected? Right, so first thing you do when you open the app is go to Connect, you tap that. Then you go to Fill Out Connect Card. And from there, you just select your campus, whether it's Asheville, Conway, Irmo. And then from there, you could fill out your information and somebody will contact you, just filling you in on whatever you want to know to get connected. That's awesome. And speaking of services, another really great feature about the app is when you're in service, we now have a way that you can actually digitally um, take your notes. So how do you do that? Right, uh, let me figure that out real quick. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it says sermon notes right there. Yeah. Oh, what the? So right when you open the app, if uh, there's a service that's live, go to Sermon Notes, and from there you'll see the usual Sermon Notes that you're usually handed, and now it's just on your phone, so you can fill in the blanks and follow along with the rest of the sermon. Now, what if I wanted to print it? What do I do? Uh, go to an antique store, find a printer, you can print it out. Sure. Now, how do you save your notes? Yeah, uh, so once you're done, you just scroll to the bottom and send notes to email, and I'll email you the notes you just took. There's so many incredible features about the app, and another one that we want to share with you is actually how you can give through the app. Yeah, so once you're at the homepage, go ahead and hit the middle tab, says give. Um, if you don't have an account, you just have to create one, and you could just give online like that. Otherwise, you sign into the account you already have. We're really excited about this new app and to share it with you. We hope that you find it helpful and that all the tools are resourceful for you. Um, so keep exploring the app. We're going to share more features and all that it does. But we're so excited to go in this new season with you and our fancy new app. <laughs> fancy new app. Say bye. Fancy oh, new app. Oh, bye. <laughs>
Uh, we turned to one another and we said, what were we thinking? Will we survive? Well, the truth is, the church was made for times like we live in today. We've been studying the book of James, and at the very beginning of the book of James, it says that it was written for these times. James 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, I was lighthearted with the puppy and some of that, but we are in serious, serious trial times. And the book of James is written for that. And it says, consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody feel like that right now? You can maybe use an extra dose of wisdom. He says, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So what we're gonna do, we're in, in the uh, uh, book of James Bible study and my assignment today just happened to be James chapter three and verses 13 through 18, which I don't think could be any more perfect a passage for what we're facing together as a group of people, uh, as a nation, as, as, a, as a planet than what we're facing today. And so what I wanna do, we're just gonna dive in and I wanna make some application that I think will be very, very important to all of us in times like this. You know, James starts out in uh, uh, verse, chapter three and verse 13, and he talks about two kinds of wisdom. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. He said, if you're wise and you want other people to see it, you should show it by your humility and by your good deeds, which is a constant theme through the book of James. But here he uh, takes kind of a, uh, a turn and he contrasts it to another type of wisdom. He says, but if you harbor uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Does that sound like it could have been written to describe our society these days? Kind of the vile, cantankerous, can't get along, polarized society. It seems like we can't have a civil discussion about anything. Sounds like James had been to one of our political rallies or maybe to one of our debates. But here's the problem. It's not just the politicians. It's me. It's my biggest struggle, selfish ambition. It's rooted deeply in me, and according to James, it's downright demonic. It may be in some of you also maybe in your families or in your workplace. You know, all of us want to be better known and better understood, better appreciated. I was talking to one of our counselors about that just actually uh, this week. And uh, we all want to be appreciated. We all want to be respected. We all want to be loved. We want to we be better known. And that's not all bad. For some of us, we long to be better known in the ministry that we're in or in our company or 
to see our product selling or maybe our album to get recorded or our blog to get traction or to find ourselves you know, with thousands of Twitter followers or Facebook friends. But here's the problem. We feel like that in of itself will make us feel more successful. And it doesn't. I remember years ago uh, when I was first starting out in ministry in Illinois and um, a, a guy who was uh, making his way up in ministry circles happened to be related to somebody that was on our team in Illinois and he came to visit us. And he said, hey, Greg, I want you to come with me to this gathering of pastors in a certain city in the United States. It's kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a big deal and I want you to be there. I want to introduce you to some people. And uh, I'm the pastor of maybe 100 people at that point in this small church in Illinois. And so I said, yes, and I, and I went. And, and I remember the day that I walked in and, and he took me down to the very front, kind of the, the VIP section, you know, where, where uh, very important pastors were sitting. And I remember feeling, you know, kind of good about that whole thing and kind of just, a, you know, the, the ego's kind of going a little bit. And uh, then it, it slowly began to register with me that um, I really didn't belong there. I really hadn't done anything to earn it. It's not like it was a free gift from God. It was supposedly at a place where you were there because you were supposed to be there. And, and I remember whispering a prayer um, uh, at that point. I was, I was embarrassed by my ego, and I vowed, Lord, I'm not gonna let this happen again. I, I, th- th- this, is, this, this felt almost, the, the selfish ambition that was there felt almost as if it had a demonic root. My friend Carrie Newhoff uh, wrote a blog not long ago about 12 ways selfish ambition damages a leader's soul. And uh, we've got it on the outline sheet. I've also got it on the screen. I want you to take a look and maybe just bring your heart along with it, see if any of it relates. Number one, he said, your personal sense of worth goes up and down with the opportunities ahead of you. When you're motivated by God, failure or... or um, your, your value is solidly found in Christ every day. It's not like the stock market. It's just solidly found in Christ. Or number two, failure is terrifying. When selfish ambition damages your soul, failure is terrifying. When you're motivated by God, failure becomes just an opportunity for his grace and his growth. Number three, you think you're a big deal. You think you're the deal. When you're motivated by God, you know that He's the deal. Uh, Number four, you use people to get where you wanna go. When you're motivated by God, you value people as you go. Number five, you take the credit. When you're motivated by God, you realize how much God and the people around you deserve the credit. Number six, you strive for breadth of exposure. You you wanna be known in a a broader field and, and when you're motivated by God, You focus on the depth of your walk and let God determine the breadth of the exposure that he gives you. Number seven, you're always thinking about the next thing. And when you're motivated by God, you're always thinking about what God wants to accomplish in your life today. Number eight, you're always comparing yourself to others. And when you're motivated by God, you begin to celebrate what God is doing through others rather than compare yourself with others. Number nine, it's hard to say no to any opportunity. And when you're motivated by God, it's easier to say yes to balance 
and priorities. Number 10, you feel entitled to any success that comes your way. And when you're motivated by God, you feel grateful and that what has happened is beyond what you deserve. Number 11, the need to win is greater than the need to love. That's a sad time. But when you're motivated by God, the need to love is greater than the need to win. And number 12, you're always insecure. That's kind of the bottom line. But when you're motivated by God, your security comes from his steadfast love. Selfish ambition, we all deal with it. It's such a narrow line between trusting God and, and desiring for God to bless and use and all that and making it happen yourself. But there's a better way. James in uh, uh, chapter three and verse 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere. And here's what I love. This last verse of the passage is the one that I wanna focus on with the remainder of our time because it's so apropos to where we live today. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of goodness. And here's what I thought. Church, we have an incredible opportunity right now to sow in peace. See, there are so many people that are, their, their peace is gone. In fact, it's the opposite of peace. It's, it's just this, this sense of stress and even terror about the future. If we will sow in peace, it says, we will reap a harvest of righteousness or good stuff. So I wanna talk to you for just a minute about becoming contagious peacemakers in uncertain times. Becoming contagious peacemakers in uncertain times. Let me give you two or three ideas about that. Here's the first one. Church, let's let our thoughts be in faith, not in fear. Let's let our thoughts be in faith and not in fear. Have you ever thought yourself into a panic? Anybody ever done that? Maybe you heard a noise. You had this idea about what that's about, or maybe you felt a lump, or you over-exaggerated a situation never works out for us well. And this coronavirus, uh, ABC News last week ran a little uh, article that said, does worrying increase your risk of getting sick? And here's just a few of the things that it said. It said, when a risk is new, it has uncertainty. We don't know yet what we need to know to protect ourselves, and that uncertainty makes us feel powerless, like we don't have control over it. So what we do is anything that gives us a sense of control, like we buy all the bottled water and toilet paper at Costco. Are there any testimonies on that? I know that on like Tuesday of this week, there was no toilet paper at Costco, my, my neighbor told me, <laughs> or I might've seen it myself. Well, we're trying to control it, but in part it's because we're freaking out rather than it's actually just a good practice. The fear of the unknown worries people just as much as the virus does. The article goes on to say, we're in this fear state, but the fear state turns down the immune system. And when you spread fear to your friends, it's almost like spreading germs to them. Did you get that? When we spread fear to our friends, it's almost like spreading 
germs to them. You wouldn't want people to do that to you, and so we shouldn't do it to other people. It goes on and it says, so just like a smile or a yawn, fear can also be contagious, and it's good to stay vigilant during these times. We don't need to be fearful. We want our thoughts to be in faith and not in fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 uh, tells us something interesting about the, the atmosphere that we live in every day. It says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, where are those strongholds at? says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so, and so he says, each one of us are in a battle. There's a war every day for our mind. And that war has just been ratcheted up over the last few days, the last few weeks. So there are these thoughts that come into our mind, but the, the Bible says that we have weapons for warfare that aren't of this world. They're supernatural, he says, and here's what he says about them. He says that we can demolish those arguments and strongholds and that we can take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Philippians chapter four and verse six says, do not be anxious about anything. Has anxiousness ever made something better for you? Anybody here have a testimony on that? No, it doesn't. It, it ratchets up the stress on any situation. And so he says, don't be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, doesn't make sense in other words, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says, think about such things. Let's apply that to today. Many of us have had anxious thoughts. Would you agree with that? Some of us have anxious thoughts right now, even being in a, in a place like this. So what do you do? First of all, become self-aware. What am I thinking? What's driving the anxiousness? Because it's, it's coming from my mind. What am I thinking? Second thing I do is, is what I'm thinking true. The Bible says, focus your thoughts on, first grab your thought and then focus on what's true, okay? Is what I'm thinking true? And then the third question is this, can I choose another thought? If this thought is bringing anxiousness and anxiety, whether it's about the virus or the economy or current politics or your family or whatever it is, if it's bringing anxiety, is there another thought that I could choose? And the Bible says that, that we can. Now, let me just stop here because some of us get stuck. And, and you, you would love nothing more than to think another thought, but you feel like you don't have the power to do it. I was just sitting down with a, a man in our congregation recently that had just come through 
um, an, an addictive situation that caught him by surprise. He, he never had any idea that he would be caught in the addiction that he was caught in. He'd been an athlete and always had uh, pretty much been able to say, I'm gonna accomplish this, I'm gonna do this and, and uh, do what he set his mind to. And he said, I, I, I had no power. I, I just, I, I, I couldn't do it in and of myself. And so I asked him, how did you get through it? And uh, he, he, he went to a counselor and then he went to an addictive behavior person and through a small group of people over time, he was able to overcome uh, uh, his situation. And there are some of you who come every week and maybe you're dealing with anxiety and you go to the cross and you pin it to the cross and you sincerely pray and say, God, help me to deal with this. Help me to have new thoughts and it doesn't go anywhere. I, I just wanna say, get some help. Get some help. There, there, are, there are wise professionals and if you don't know them, we can help point you the direction to go. But uh, if you're stuck, get some help. So contagious peacemakers, which is what our community needs right now, let our thoughts be in faith and not in fear. Here's the second thought about contagious peacemakers. Let our conversations be full of life and not of death. Ephesians chapter four and verse 22 says you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I was thinking about this, this verse. I was meditating on it this week. What does it say to us during these times that we live in? And here's, here's how I wanna say it. I want us, Seacoast, to exercise our biblical peacemakers' freedom of speech, which says this. You are free to say anything you want as long as, as it brings life to the hearer. Will you agree with that? You are free to say anything you want. That's your freedom of speech, as long as it brings life to the hearer. See, it's in times like these that the world needs to hear us proclaiming words of peace. We're not gonna deny reality. We're not gonna deny what science is, is telling us. This is the greatest global crisis of our lifetime. I don't know how many times I read that this week, but and we will be wise about our gatherings. We're gonna wash our hands more than we ever have. I think we put out something on social media this week of how to wash your hands to one of our worship songs, you know, and so that you do it long enough. We've got, you know, uh, uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. Uh, we're cleaning our buildings. We're not gonna shake hands. We're not gonna hug one another. Uh, we are going to follow the dictates of the state and of local health officials about future gatherings. It may be possible that uh, this will be the last gathering we have. I don't know, might not be, but it might be. If it is in this place for a season, we're gonna continue to meet uh, in uh, watch parties. Maybe that's just you by yourself and inviting friends on Facebook to come and 
do it with you, or maybe it's your family uh, in your house, or maybe inviting some friends over from your neighborhood. We're, we're gonna, and, and then we're gonna learn how to serve the community in ways that, that uh, we never thought possible before. We're gonna take advantage of online communication, and we're gonna disinfect things regularly and thoroughly, but we are not gonna give in to panic and fear. Would you say amen to that? We're going to proclaim that there are better days ahead, that God will be glorified, and that this too will pass. <coughs> I have a sinus infection. <laughs> so everybody around, if I go to the grocery store and I cough, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I'm one of those, but I think I'm okay. The church's finest hour has always been in times of crisis. Let our conversation be full of life and not death. Help for building others up, not adding to their fear. Let our words of faith be contagious healing balm in difficult days ahead. Let me give you one more thing. We're gonna let our conversations be full of life. We're going to let our thoughts be full of faith and not fear. Third thing we're gonna do is let our hope be in God and not in our own strength. Romans 15 and verse 13, it's, it's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want us to read that again, those of us who are gathered here, and uh, if you're online somewhere, and you're by yourself or you can do that, maybe in a small group. Let's read it because I want those words to just kind of take root inside of who we are. Let's read it together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I say this to you? I don't know where this virus goes. You know, I, I, I can read the studies just like you can, but I can tell you this, your future is safely in God's hands. And God is bigger than the coronavirus. Anybody wanna say amen to that? See, this virus is a stark reminder of our own mortality. Stark reminder of everybody in our community to our own mortality. The growth of the Christian church is directly attached to early believers' willingness to run to the hurting and not to run away from the hurting. In fact, uh, many historians who study the early church <clears throat> say that it went from just a small sect of uh, Jewish people into a worldwide religion, and it was stimulated a lot by the fact that there was a great plague in the early days of the church. And though there have been plagues down through the years. Um, what we're going through, anytime anybody uh, is at risk of life, it's not a good thing. But the, the, the risk to the overall population is minimal. Many plagues down through the years would wipe out a, a quarter to a half of a community. And there was one of those plagues going on uh, in the communities uh, in the Roman Empire where the early church uh, was. And... Um, and uh, there, there, there was a, 
uh, people, people uh, were quarantined. Uh, that's the only way they knew that they could get rid of it. They would put those who had the plague outside of the house. And Christians came and they loved and they served those who were dying. Many of the Christians died. Some didn't, but many of them did. But here's what they said. They said that we see our future secure in Christ. There was a sacred hope and a joy and a peace that came from a trust in Christ, even in the midst of a deadly plague. And they lived their lives as if they really believed that they would live forever. Can I be honest with you? I'm most concerned these days about the older and most vulnerable members of our congregation and of our community. And we're gonna do our best to serve you well during this crisis. But I wanna say this to you, never lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, honestly, there are days I wonder what it would be like not to carry the burden of this church, not to carry the burden of churches across America and now around the world. Some days I wonder what it would be like not to carry the burden of the family um, that, that, I, that I lead. What, what does perfect peace feel like? I wonder what it would feel like to trust God so much that you could say like Paul in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus will abound on account of me. You know, as I read that this week, I thought, that is not some suicidal yearnings of a depressed preacher. That's a man who honestly holds the reality of his life in a mental ledger sheet. He says, you know what? It would be good to go and be with Jesus right now. I can't hardly wait. I long for those days, he would say, to go and to be, to, for the weight of ministry, for the weight of concern, for the weight of the world, to be totally gone, to be together with him forever. I long for those days, he says. But at the same time, but at the same time, I'm good either way. And he says, you know what? I think right now the best thing for me to do is just to serve and then he writes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Never, church, let our hope be in anything other than God, not in our own strength. So church, I'm gonna challenge you together in this crucial time that we choose joy. As a contagious disease circles our planet, we're gonna release a powerful antidote of contagious peace. We're gonna let our thoughts be 
full of faith and not of fear. We're gonna let our words be full of life and not of death. We're gonna let our hope be in God and not in our own strength. Does that sound like something you could sign up for? Let's stand together. Can we stand together right now and we're gonna close here and in our campuses, wherever you happen to be. We're gonna conclude with a prayer that we're gonna pray together. It comes from a man named Neil Anderson who um, has written several books. Bondage Breaker is, is one of them about being free in God. I found his declaration and I thought, I wanna pray that together as a group here at Seacoast Church and wherever you happen to be. And so would you, would you pray it with me and the words will be on the screen in front of you. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you and honor you as my Lord. You are in control of all things. I thank you that you are always with me and will never leave me nor forsake me. You are the only all-powerful and only wise God. You are kind and loving in all of your ways. I love you and thank you that I am united with Christ and spiritually alive in him. I choose not to love the world or the things of the world, and I crucify the flesh in all of its passion. Thank you for the life I now have in Christ. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I may say no to sin and yes to you. I declare my total dependence on you, and I take my stand against Satan and all of his lying ways. I choose to believe the truth of God's word despite what my feelings may say. I refuse to be discouraged. You are the God of all hope. Nothing is too difficult for you. I am confident that you will supply all of my needs as I seek to live according to your word. I thank you that I can be content and live a responsible life through Christ who strengthens me. I now take my stand against Satan and command him and all of his evil spirits to depart from me. I choose to put on the full armor of God so that I may be able to stand firm against all the devil's schemes. I submit my body as a living and holy sacrifice, and I choose to renew my mind by the living word of God. By so doing, I will be able to prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect for me. In the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen, amen.